0: Syukur untuk setia rencana dan rancangan-Mu yang mulia Dalam satu tubuh kami bersatu menjadi
1: Hi, dear viewers and listeners. Good evening and peace to all of you. Welcome to another interesting segment, coming on live with Amiya in collaboration with Catholic Podcast on World Religions, The Understanding of World Religions. Today is the second of a series of seven weeks, seven Tuesdays. Before we continue, let me just briefly explain to you what AMIA is. AMIA means Archdiocesan Ministry of Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs, a ministry that stands to build bridges with other Christians and friends of other faith traditions. The gist is to establish rapport so as to understand and respect each other. Tonight, We have two knowledgeable speakers Mr. Sirisena Pereira and Don Premasari to share with us on Buddhism. Dear sisters and brothers today we may be wondering and expecting to see two Buddhist monks. You will see in a while they are not Buddhist monks or are they Buddhist monks. Before that I would like to introduce our moderator for the evening, Reverend Father Christopher Vilvraj, who was also once head of AMIA and currently ecclesiastical assistant of catechetics in the Archdiocese of Kuala Lumpur. He is currently the parish priest of Good Shepherd, Good Shepherd Church Stapak, Kuala Lumpur. Before my rollercoaster journey to the priesthood that ended, I had the privilege of spending some months with him, where we established cordial relationship with each other. Unlike with Father Clarence, if you remember last week, he shared about we playing football together. With Christ, we did not play football together, but we watched World Cup together. So without much delay, I will now hand over the floor to Father Chris, who will get the ball rolling and introduce our speakers for the evening.
2: Good evening, everyone. Good to see you, Father Xavier. Thank you for the, the introduction. Uh, I, believe, uh, I believe it's a beautiful day today as uh, we celebrate Madeka. And uh, I have to congr- congratulate Amiya and your team, especially of uh, making this preparation of the seven uh, topics of different religions. And I believe that everything comes possible with beautiful when we understand and respect each other. How are you, Father Xavier, in this day or in this Merdeka?
1: Oh, I'm feeling so free. Merdeka for myself also.
2: (laughs) Yeah, wonderful. Although...
1: difficult ...times, but you know, promising, it's promising.
2: Whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you still stand as the Raya of Malaysia, being proud, being Malaysians. Uh, Let's not waste time. Let's uh, bring forth our two speakers. Uh, As you said, uh, we we welcome uh, Siri Sina, uh to us. Uh, if you can bring him on, so that we can see him and uh, welcome uh, Sri.
3: Good evening and Good evening. Uh, welcome
2: uh, uh, Don Pre- 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 Premasari. I believe uh, both of you are very well known to the to the religion of Buddhism. And I, I, I as Father Xavier, has introduced you earlier. I wish I wish to say a little thing, a little about. If, if you don't mind, uh, Sri Sina, if I if I can call you as Sri, that's fine. Okay? Very good. Uh, how about uh, Don Per Pere Masari? Can I call you as Prem? Hey, that'll be excellent. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Just to give a simple uh, introduction to to Sri, he uh, he is uh, the president since 19, uh, 2014 the in in the Buddhist Mahavira Temple. Uh, he he has been a good guru, uh, student, and I believe you you have got, you known you have known uh, the late R- Reverend Dhamma Dhammarandan and I believe uh, he has really influenced you about the religion. And today you you are here mm-hmm. to share about Buddhism. Um, mm-hmm. As uh, Father Xavier said, uh, you are not a monk, but you are a, a, a layperson. <laughs> uh, you are married. You are married, and you have a degree in law i believe uh, you have a degree oh, no,
3: no, no. in uh, law yeah okay yeah, yeah. uh no uh, i think uh, i correct you i don't have a degree in law <laughs> yeah i have an, so an engineering you, background i'm an engineer
2: engineering, an engineering background. background okay sorry very sorry yeah. uh don uh, don you are uh you are uh, the vice president of the buddhist mahavira if i'm not mistaken yes father that's right yeah and you you also have uh, some gift of uh, sign languages i believe
4: um, I work with a sign language interpreter together.
2: Wonderful, wonderful. So, not to waste time, I believe uh, our viewers are trying uh, waiting to to understand about Buddhism. Maybe I, I direct the first question or first uh, reflection to Sri. Can you tell us about uh, Can you tell us about the life of Gautama, Gautama Buddha? Uh,
3: can I interrupt, uh, Father? Maybe this particular question will be picked up by my colleague. Uh, Brother, pray. Pray, my Sorry, sorry, right. sorry.
2: Uh, Pram, okay.
4: uh... No, no problem, Father Christopher. Uh, uh, let me uh, sh- share in brief uh, about the life of Buddha. Okay, basically, um, Siddhartha Gautama was born um, in uh, 623 BC in currently uh, Nepal. Then it was actually India. He was born to a ruling family uh, of the state of Sakya, and. Uh, he has lived a luxurious life, and after some time, there was the sense of um, emptiness in him. He has felt a lot of um, challenges in terms of internal challenges within him, despite all the luxury that is surrounding him, the all the uh, pleasures of life, but he still felt something very empty, despite everything that has been there with him and and we must understand this in the context of what india was at that time india was well advanced in civilization it has a very strong thriving farming community trade was uh uh, i would say bustling and there's a lot of infrastructure that was put by the rulers be it the democratic uh, rulers at that time or the kings to move trade and in this time what has happened was despite all the luxury that he had, he had a very big sense of um, question in him. After with all this luxury in life, what is gonna to happen to my family? Uh, what is gonna to happen to me? Can this be permanent or is this gonna be lost? And in that sense, he ultimately understood that everything is not permanent we will have suffering due to death we will have suffering due to sicknesses we will have suffering due to old age we will have suffering and we will even die he was seeking a, a way out of this and this is when he left his luxurious life to in search of truth he left everything and just like uh, when you expected us to be as monks no we are not he wore a robe he wore a robe in search in search of how to find these answers, how to liberate oneself from this sufferings in life. And he has struggled this for about six years before finally he achieved um, what we call as enlightenment in Buddhism. Um, and in this process, he has tried many methods. In India at that time, um, there were two schools, two main schools of thought. One is actually, um, in they believe in torturing the body Torturing the body in search of this uh, truth or gift of uh, of truth. The other group was actually involved a lot in leaving things as it is. But in all these methods he has tried, he could not get the answer. And then in the end, he used a method, uh, a meditation. To he tried with meditation to seek this answer, and which he ultimately became the Buddha. So Buddha is not his name. Buddha is the, uh, you could say, a title we give to him, to Siddhartha, because he has achieved that sense of enlightenment. And for the next 45 years in India, he has actually traveled to share what he has learned. Um, and we call this the Dhamma. The teachings of the Buddha, we call it the Dhamma. So he's shared for the next 45 years this method that he has found to achieve enlightenment, to achieve liberation. And um, uh, after about eight years, he achieved nirvana, where uh, when we technically, we call it has passed away. We, we Buddhists call it, he has achieved parinirvana, which means no more birth and death. That's in brief, um, the life of Gautama Buddha.
2: Very beautiful, Don. you, Prim? You have really uh, captured it very beautifully. Um, like uh, as you said, sh- as you were sharing that he had a luxurious life, my thoughts also went back to Francis Assisi, who also uh, was a luxury, uh, was a rich man, and he gave up everything because of the beauty. Uh, uh, it's beautiful. Also, you told about this uh, this new, uh, this enlightenment that he ex- experienced. Um, maybe I can put the next question to 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 Sri. The uh, what is the Buddhist uh, four noble truths? and the uh, five precepts that uh, you can share with us, maybe.
3: Yeah, thank you, Father. Yeah. Uh, to answer this, I'll, ask, I'll answer the second portion first. What is the five precepts? Uh, as lay people, as lay people like myself and pray, uh, we are we have uh, five principles, five precepts that we undertake every day on a daily basis uh, for our daily living, all right? And what it actually says is this, these five precepts are this. Uh, I will, I will, I will say it in Pali first, and I will do the translation. Just the first one, so you get the hang of it. It says, "Pana vēramani sikkhapadan, Translated, it means, "I take the precept to abstain from killing." That's the first precept. Now, the second precept says, "I take the precept to abstain from stealing," and the third precept is i take the precept to abstain from sexual misconduct the fourth precept i take the precept to abstain from uh, wrong speech lying you know bad-mouthing people that's all and the last precept i take the precept to abstain from intoxicants uh, quite often this is uh, interpreted as alcohol but this is any abusive substance taken for the wrong reason uh, taken for i'm going to be very clear but they're taken for the wrong reason sometimes uh, when there is a medicine that has a cough mixture has alcohol in it uh, we do not deem it as uh, wrong etc the medicine has been taken for a particular reason so we do not tell and say that is wrong uh, so sometimes certain drugs are taken uh, for as a painkillers we do not say that is wrong but however if these are abused all right if these are abused then we say this is not uh, uh, something that we do on a day to day practice so these are the five precepts. it's an undertaking that a layman, a lay Buddhist undertakes on a daily basis. On a daily basis. And there are five very simple things. And uh, actually, these five are actually, when you're casted, the five precepts, it's actually called the Panchasila. The Indonesian Rukun Nagara is called Panchasila. So, we, this is Panchasila according to Buddhist tradition to uh, say. Slightly different from what uh, I think. Uh, but this is what Buddhists practice on a daily basis. Now, I move to the bigger question uh, the Four Noble Truths. Just now, uh, Prem mentioned, uh, I continue the story, the Siddhartha Gautama attained enlightenment. And the thing that he discovered, what was he trying to discover? He was trying to discover how to end old age, sickness, and death. That's what he was trying to discover, how to to end old age, sickness, and death. And then, in his whole uh, search over the years, over a six-year search from the time he left home until the age of 35, He discovered this thing, too many processes. He discovered this thing called uh, the Four Noble Truths. And basically, the entire uh, religion of Buddhism, or his findings, is actually the Four Noble Truths. It's actually the Four Noble Truths. So what are the Four Noble Truths? The first Noble Truth is actually defining suffering. We use the word suffering not quite right. Um, In in Pali, we use the word Dukkha. Dukkha meaning unsatisfactoriness. We are, uns- we are dissatisfied with everything that we have. What does it mean? I have uh, a million dollars, but no. Once you get the million dollars, you want two million bucks. And it keeps on adding. No end. Greed comes in. Craving comes in, you know, sort of thing. You buy a big house, you want a bigger house. You buy one Ferrari, you want 10 Ferraris. Like, you know? So this unsatisfactoriness keeps on building in many ways. Uh, I've talked about physical things in many ways. So there's this craving and this clinging on. So the first uh, noble truth is actually defining what what's Dukkha is. It defines Dukkha. All right? It defines uh, what Dukkha is. Now, the second noble truth is um, uh, the cause of Dukkha. What is the cause of Dukkha? What is the cause of, of craving? What is the cause of this unsatisfactiveness? So he defined that the cause of craving is craving. Craving is the desire, is uh, yeah? the cause of all these things. Uh, it is it, it's, it's a cause of all this unsatisfaction because you crave for things, envy, jealousy, etc. But craving is the same thing. You know, uh, your neighbor has a big house; you want a bigger house. If your neighbor got two cars; you want the third car. You know, you are always trying to, you know, keep up with the Joneses. You know, never satisfied. You know, you know, never satisfied. So, what is what is the one that causes this? It is actually craving. Uh, this this craving. So that was a, determined the cause. Now the third thing uh, was um, end of. End of uh, dukkha. How do you end the dukkha? Uh? And uh, the Buddha defined the end of dukkha is when you when you destroy this craving. Uh, we, we when I use the word, it's sort of violence In- internally. How do you purge yourself of this craving? How do you get rid of all these things? Uh, it is something that is within us. It's a self purification process. So how do we go about and get rid of this thing? You know. So that is the actually the defining what is. Uh, the end of suffering or the end of dukkha. Now the fourth noble truth, the fourth noble truth is called, some pe- it is called the eightfold path. The eightfold path, some people call it the middle path. Some of you may have heard, it's called the middle path. Um, and in the middle path, there are eight uh, eight items. If you see at the end of the screen, there's a little circle there with eight spokes. That little screen, uh, that little chakra there. Uh, if you take a look, there are eight spokes and that, is actually the we always refer to it as the Buddhist wheel. Uh, it is deemed as a Buddhist wheel. Uh, that that wheel that we, we have it has changed over the years, but in the early years, it was designed around a, a bullock cart wheel. You know, I you know many people ask, why do you have spokes there? Wheel won't turn. Actually, they are quite right. You know, the original wheel did not have spokes, but nowadays we have modified it and made it a little bit more prettier, like you know sort of thing. But uh, it was designed around a bullock cart wheel, and it has eight spokes. <laughs> uh, and what is the? What are these folks? What do they represent? Uh, what do they represent? Uh, so I, I, I will. I want to give it in an organized manner. Uh, I, I have my notes here. Um, the the eight the eight uh, the eight noble truths um, are categorized in uh, in three categories. We, one we call sila, meaning morality. So what are the things? What are the things under the, this category of morality? It is right speech right speech uh, we always turn and say it is right we don't just say good speech we say it's the right speech what do we mean by that uh, uh, selling the truth not having a sharp tongue not being uh, not being cynical not hurting people with our words you know our tongue can be really sharp you know can more more damage than anything else so having right speech uh, having the right speech it's being kind to people basically then there is right action. Doing kind things, you know, act- activities that are that are that are that are, uh, of the, of of uh, of being helpful to 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 your neighbor, your your friends, your neighbors, etc. All the right things in there, right actions. The third one is right livelihood. Uh, what does this mean? That means for us to live a life, we earn a living, we lead a life, we we ca- uh, we carry out a life whereby, let's say, we are not in the slave trade. Let's say. We are not in the drug business, you know. We are not in the business whereby we are killing people or being a mercenary, etc. So we are having a right living, a very noble lifestyle. Lifestyle. I know everybody says that teaching is the noble lifestyle or being a priest is a noble. But all of us can't be priests, and all of us can't be uh, uh, very noble people. And if we didn't have bad people, you know, I think there be no need for people like us. You know. So, so I'm not saying that I'm. This is job security. But uh, but what we are saying is that the livelihood that we have uh, needs to be uh, uh, noble, eh? needs to be noble. And there, there are so many occupations out there that are noble, that are good of service to community. Now, the second category we call is mental culture. This is the next three categories, th- three items of the noble food comes. Uh, this is the right effort. What it means here is that for us going out there and doing this is part of our mental thought. Eh? We're having the right thoughts in our heads uh, to do the right things. Uh, These are efforts that we are efforting to do the right things. The next one is right mindfulness. We are aware. When we talk about awareness here, mindfulness, we are always talking about actually the four noble truths, telling ourselves that we have to be aware of the four noble truths. Not that we are saying that we have the understanding of the four noble truths. What we are saying, you have to have awareness. Why I say this awareness is this. If you are not aware, there's not going to be a change. So what we are saying, there needs to be an awareness before there is change. So in this uh, so-called mindfulness, we are telling people, we're telling an individual, when you're leading your life, be always be aware of what you are doing, whether you are in line, okay, with the in line with the four noble truths. Uh, the next item we talk about is right concentration. All right. Um, sometimes I laugh about this, and I say, when right concentration, whenever you watch a kung fu movie. You always see two characters, the good and the bad. You, they all go through the same training, but somehow or the other one guy turns out to be good and the other guy turns out to be bad. Uh, I know this is in the Hollywood style sort of thing. But what it actually means is that even though with the right training, with the right thing, if our focus is not right, if our intentions are right, then you send a stray and you go around the wrong path. You know, if you take, I know these are movies things, but you know, it's a good analogy, if you want to use the word huh, that we talk about. Now, the next item is under we, which is categorized under wisdom. Eh? We talk about right understanding. Eh? Right understanding. What right understanding here? We we are not talking about understanding how the world began, how the earth was formed, how there is a, you know, why a tsunami formed. No, we are talking about understanding the four noble truths, having a right understanding of what the four noble truths are and what the teachings of the Buddhas are. That's what we are talking about. There's a tendency sometimes when we talk about rights and understanding, especially young kids, you know, they want to understand how engineering was like, you know, how is a tall building want to come up. I want to have a right understanding. Nothing wrong with all that. OK, those are not evil things. But having an understanding of what uh, the Four Noble Truths are about and what the uh, right way of living is huh? uh, and understanding the teachings of the Buddha. That's what it is. The last item is right thoughts. You know, this is actually having the right thoughts. Why we talk about the right thoughts? Having the right thoughts is the mind is a forerunner. Mind uh, mind of a man is a forerunner of everything. And if you don't start right in your thoughts, in your thinking, in your creation, uh, et cetera, then you are going astray. What we are saying is that you need to have right thoughts, staying focused on the good, staying focused on the good, uh, and and, and leading a, a good life. All that I've said there is very, very easy for me to say, very easy to say. But they're very tough things to practice. Right? They're very, very tough things to practice. And what I've just mentioned to you, the Four Noble Truths, which is actually unsatisfactoriness, cause of unsatisfactiveness, the definition of what the end of unsatisfactoriness is. And the last one is actually the path. The path the leading to the end of uh, unsatisfactoriness. That's what we call it. So We always call it sometimes the path leading to the end of suffering. But we want not say unsatisfactoryness. Huh? So,
2: Sri, so, so will you say that these four noble truths and these five precepts are complementary to each other? They yes, are they are. To each other, yeah.
3: Yes, they are. Just now, when I talked about right action, yeah. you can link the five precepts to right action that's directly right. Yeah. on a day-to-day basis. It did, it. Huh? it's a it's, it's a it's a direct link with it. Huh? that's what means. Yeah. Huh? It's what it is. Yeah. I don't know, Prem, uh, maybe I asked my colleague, Prem, whether you want to comment on anything on this, or you want to expand on this? I think um, uh, it's
4: well explained. Thank you. Uh, well categorized into the the path to achieve enlightenment using the Noble
1: Eightfold Path as the starting point. Mm. Okay. Prem, Prem, I would like to ask you, I often hear, you know, people saying in Buddhism, there is no definition of God, no understanding of God, or God is hardly mentioned. What is uh, the understanding of God in Buddhism according to what the teaching says and what you understand? Maybe Prem could share a little bit on that.
4: Yeah, thanks, uh, Father Xavier. Um, In in the Buddhist concept, um, the actual concept of, um, we use the word devas or we can say uh, gods, not one God, but many gods. So uh, in the Buddhist cosmology, the that they divide it mainly into five main different types of worlds that one lives in, and one of it is called the heaven worlds. In the heaven worlds, or um, in the Buddhist uh, cosmology, again, in total, there are six lower heavens. Then, on top of that, you've got the uh, 16 Brahma worlds, we call it. So, in that sense, uh, we do have uh, gods or Brahmas in the Buddhist concept. But we do not have a creator God in the Buddhist concept, like uh, Father Xavier, you mentioned just now, you're right. Because in Buddhism, uh, the Buddha placed the emphasis on the individual, the self-reliance, the self-reliance to achieve the liberation and to get the freedom away from this cycle of uh, suffering. And to achieve that is, to uh purely dependent on the individual um how did the buddha put it the buddha put it this way he says i have shown you the path as the sammasambuddha you have to walk the path so it is like a road map that has been given to an individual that roadmap is uh, what brother siri just shared with you just now um where he talked about the noble eightfold Path. and when you walk this noble Eightfold Path through your own effort you, you are able to achieve with that set uh, charted method to achieve enlightenment. So in the Buddhist concept, the uh, the Creator God uh, is not something that the Buddha emphasized on. He emphasized on self-reliance. And however, I must also mention this here, uh, the Buddha did mention in the Ratana Sutta, in the Sutta Nipata, he mentions, we are able to actually get help from these gods um people do blessings the uh, and then they do transference of merits or sharing of merits like we call it uh you can get help from these gods or we can call it uh, in christianity we say angels uh, but they are not able to help you in your spiritual liberation they could help you uh they could bless you they could protect you but in your spiritual liberation, it is only you yourself who has to walk the path and to achieve that uh, enlightenment that the Buddha himself achieved.
1: So it is not uh, something automatic you have to put a lot of effort in this uh, process towards uh, towards realization, isn't it? It is not so much the grace of God but your efforts that would have to yeah. work at it right?
4: yeah, not yeah, automatic. That's quite- That's correct, uh, Father Xavier. Actually, the Buddha gives a very, actually the formula is very simple. Um, Actually, he says, avoid evil, uh, do good, purify the mind. This is the way, this is the teaching of the Buddha. I make it even easier. I just say, good to the power of three. Good to the power of three means, be good, do good, and it is good to meditate.
1: Excellent. 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 That's wonderful. Yeah. I think this is very practical for people. I think uh, uh, most of the people always focus on the outside and uh, just relying on God becomes very passive that they don't work towards any uh, effort towards, uh, you know, their own uh, realization. This is a very beautiful understanding. Thank you, uh, Prem. There's one more I would like to ask you on uh, this question of reincarnation and enlightenment. Oftentimes we hear this thrown here and there everywhere. But uh, how is it understood in the understanding of Buddhism, both and reincarnation and enlightenment, especially reincarnation, often it's spoken of? Yeah, just uh, could share a little bit on that, Prem?
4: Yeah, thank you, uh, Reverend. The in the Buddhist concept of in the Buddhist cosmology, it is divided into five main uh, spheres of living, the human world, the animal world, the hell worlds, the uh, heaven worlds and the ghost worlds. So when a person actually passes away, the person uh, takes rebirth. We call it rebirth uh, and not so much of reincarnation, because incarnation brings the concept of soul, where one soul travels from the departed to the other worlds. We use the word uh, rebirth instead. In In the case of rebirth, it is the consciousness. With this consciousness, just like a radio wave, when a person departs in one place, he takes birth again in a different uh, sphere. And how does enlightenment come in this cos, uh, in this uh, Buddhist cosmology? One will continue to have birth, death, uh, sicknesses, uh, aging. For continues to have these in any of these five. Um, of, Five spheres of living. Even the heaven wills, though they may be very, very long, they are not permanent. There is a chance after uh, the, there is the uh, there is the situation where once the lifespan, once the lifespan in heaven is exhausted, and, uh, an angel or gods we call them or devas is able to actually drop and uh, take birth as a human being. So how do we stop this cycle where a person will keep on taking rebirth? How does it stop? It is only through enlightenment. And it is through enlightenment, one breaks away that cycle and stops rebirth. So that is the ultimate uh, goal that the Buddhists worship, which is to achieve enlightenment.
1: Thank you. Uh, you. The other thing I would just like to ask, uh, would it mean, you mentioned the word consciousness, would it mean like soul consciousness, the soul being conscious of, it, of himself, and then a rebirth is taking place in another body, how conscious you are in this life will determine your next life. Would that be the, another way of saying it?
4: If we say soul, uh-huh. the concept of soul is interesting, actually, when you go into the psychology of it. Mm-hmm. When you say soul, There's an incarnation that moves from one life to another life. All right. Uh And and, uh, we must remember the Buddhists do not uh, accept the, uh, we use the word not self. We use the word not self, no soul. So is this person who has passed away here and taken rebirth elsewhere, is it the same person? Technically, no. But is it not the same person? Technically, Yes. (laughs) <laughs> so in, in that sense, that is see. why we don't use the word non-self, but we use the word not-self. The individual is still an individual, but yet not-self, not in that sense. It is just like, uh, there's this famous philosopher who said, when you step into a river, when you mm-hmm. step into that river, the flowing river, the flowing water, you are not going to step it the same river mm-hmm. again. The same water again, because what went just now is different from what you are now. It is a continuous, dynamic flux of change, which is why the Buddha talks about impermanence, anicca.
1: anicca. That's a very interesting l- illustration about the river. You know, it's never yeah. in the same place, the same water. That's very yeah, nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, that's very
2: interesting. Just want to just want to add on, uh, Sri. Uh, if uh, if we talk about this incarnation and uh, and enlightenment. How does Buddhism look at other religions? Yeah, how do y'all? How do we? Do you uh, see them? You know, if you if you look at the Catholic faith, uh, when we say about faith, you know, just now, like Father Xavier said, is grace and the action. You also said mm. the action, and these two must come together for us. Like faith mm. and action comes beauty, but mm. as uh, Buddhism is basically, uh, the action is so important. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken so uh, how do you how do you share that
3: uh, let me see when we talk about um, the, in Buddhism uh, when we talk about first we are trying to uh, we're trying to learn first you college because we, co- uh, we, we, we we get knowledge first you That's know right. uh, one of the one of the primary uh, 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 root items in 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 Buddhism, is inquiry. You know, we, we talk about that. Mean inquire, ask, always ask. There is no such thing as nothing can be asked about. There is not. Uh, sometimes we use the word blasphemy. No, it doesn't apply. you saying ask the question, uh, because actually, when you ask a question, you know. And sometimes when you say I don't know, all right, when you say I don't know to yourself, this is what happened to the with the Prince Siddhartha himself. He wanted to find out there was a search. Why? Because he did not know. And actually when you say the term i do not know that's the beginning of wisdom actually.
2: That's right, that's uh,
3: it is, it is yeah. the beginning of wisdom uh, that's what right. he says but that, yeah. yes but that's what but that's the start that's the start you're not exactly in night and enlightened now what you do now you have learned now you have learned you inquire then the next thing is actually uh the other thing where we are in line with uh in science especially one is inquiry the next is experimentation you know, we advise you to experiment, try, you know, try and try again and learn from your mistakes. That's what the Buddha did. So these are the actions that you do. If you do nothing, you, you don't get anything right. You don't get anything wrong and you are in a very neutral state. So you go out there and then you try. So in Buddhism, there are two things. Once it's inquiry and once you develop this awareness, then you go out there and you take action. That's what the Buddha did. Huh? That's what Prince Siddhartha I would say. Not yet the Buddha. That's what he did. You know he wanted to So the inquiry element drove him you know to take action he took action he went he studied he studied from so many teachers etc did he learn something from the other teachers yes he did that was action but he was not satisfied that craving eh? don't use the word right. that craving eh? sort of thing. Yeah. so uh that's how the relationship action comes into play uh, that's how it comes into play now just now you mentioned the word faith we sometimes, uh, as Buddhists, we tend to say this word, we are not a religion of faith, but of reason. But uh, I would challenge that statement. Is there room for faith in Buddhism? Yes, there is. Is there room for faith in Buddhism? Yes, there is. But what I would say is that it is a diminishing need for faith. Because when understanding builds up, I talked about understanding. When understanding builds up, then the need for faith diminishes. You know, we use the word sadda, confidence in the religion, that sort of thing. Mm. So initially, yes, there is faith. Yes, you know, we don't understand it yet. But when we start understanding it, the need for faith diminishes because understanding is picked it comes, up. Comes, come up. You know? yeah. So, yeah. That's that's oh. the way I would answer. It. I, I
2: believe I believe Buddhism has different schools of teaching or understanding. Uh, can mm-hmm. you share about the different schools that we have uh, under the the Buddhism? Uh, Buddhism itself, there are a lot of yeah. schools. If I'm not mistaken.
3: Uh, yes, there are many uh, many schools, uh, but I will talk about the three main schools. I will talk, all right? Three main schools. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Buddhism at the time in India when it was there, even the term Buddhism did not ex- did not exist. Mm-hmm. Uh? And however, uh, there are today there are three major schools of uh, Buddhism. Three major schools. The first one, the biggest group, is called the Mahayana school. According to Wikipedia, there are about three hundred and forty million people. Uh, what do you call it, uh, the Mahayana Buddhist in the world, uh, 340. Uh, 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 and this uh, and that school generally exists in places like China and Korea and Taiwan. Mm. The northern mm. school, uh, we call it the northern, okay. school. Oh, now, yeah. northern school. Now the second school is called the Theravada. We always call it the, the school of elders. You know, We are mm. like the Catholic Church. We are like <laughs> the Catholic <laughs> the right. elders. Yeah. Like, uh, if you want to talk about that, uh, we are yeah. the elders. We are a little bit more traditional. Uh, the difference also, the Mahayana schools, yeah, where the countries that they went to, they have adopted the chanting and the clothes and the dress. They have adopted the culture of those of those countries. Whereas us, uh, the, us meaning myself and Prem and Buddhist Mahaviyara, we come, uh, we come from the Theravada school. We call it the, 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 the southern region, which basically exists in, in Sri Lanka, in Cambodia, in Thailand, etc. Our form, the monks tend to wear the same thing. They chant in the same language. They chant in the same language, etc. Now, the third school is we call it the Vajrayana school, which is the, and, and the, uh, sorry, going back to the Theravada school, again, according to Wikipedia, there are about 130 million Theravada uh, practitioners uh, worldwide. Uh? Mm. Now, the third major school is Vajrayana. Vajrayana people tend to relate it more to the Dalai Lama, Tibet, and that region. In that region, they're quite a small school. They're only, from what I hear, they're only about twenty million of them in the world. Mm-hmm. However, they're very, uh, very well known because uh, the thing about Vajrayana uh, school is that it went to the West, and then they have uh, Hollywood stars who have embraced the, that version of it, like Keanu Reeves and Tina Turner, this, that. So mm-hmm. it's a very high profile. Very Uh high profile that they have, Mm -hmm. and of course the issue of Tibet and uh, the Dalai Lama—it's also political and very high profile. So they—they have a very high profile image out there, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they are also a very influential school, uh, and they have adopted their own uh, their own uh, culture from generally around Tibet uh, region and sort of thing. So these are the three major schools. There are many, 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 many others. All right many yeah. subdivisions yeah. etc but these are the three major schools
2: but they say the theology is the same uh, I mean we are
3: almost a hundred percent we believe in the Buddha our teachings our texts etc mm.
2: uh,
3: I think uh, uh, as far we there is literally no dispute there is literally mm. no dispute we accept the teaching that was out mm. down there There is almost literally none literally none you know mm. what is different is the behavior the rules and the regulations that the monks follow that's what differs quite a bit huh? that's what differs because it, the the monks live to a set of rules of about uh, of, uh, 227 rules and i'm not wrong that uh, sort of thing <laughs> however these rules were set up they are not laws that are carved in stone and the buddha has made it quite clear as time goes on according to your where you are the culture the changing time these are allowed to be changed these are allowed to be changed because they are not laws of nature these are rules
2: that were that were devised just because small small issues that came up huh? that's what it is. so so it's wonderful uh, we, we have spoken a bit about the theology of Buddhism itself understanding mm-hmm. and getting to it. Mm-hmm. let's go into the practices like basic pressing mm-hmm. practices you know uh, when I was small I was just staying to near the Buddhist temple. And I used to go with my 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 family just to mm. just to see and to I see many of them wearing the strings and all this. You know, mm. I, I believe that I, I I know it's uh the orange string. And I see in Prem Prem. I am sorry if I say I see in your hands there's a little different colors of strings. So maybe you can share about these these practices, the worship, the the, you no know, what do they what do really they I know monks. They like to chant, and you know, I like to sing and I like to chant, but, and I really am I find it amazement when I just sit down silently with them once. So, yeah, can you share? Uh, uh
4: thanks for the question, uh, Father. The generally, when when the Buddhists um, um, go to the temple, the when uh, like Brother Siri mentioned on the point on faith, at the entry point on the point of faith people need things that are tangible people need uh, things that can help them uh, give them uh, blessings give them confidence so like the holy trait we call it or the blessed trait or they as they say in sinhalese um or in thai they call it at a different term basically uh, what what happens is the monk who actually uh, ties this holy string or blessed string on the individual's hand Uh, what happens is they will chant some um, chanting, these blessings, we call it. And in these blessings, they are blessing the person. May you be protected. May you have good health. May you have happiness. May you have a wish fulfilled always. And and after that, they also will use water uh, to also bless the person. And water is something uh, uh, interesting as well, Uh, whereby... 80 percent of the human body is actually water and mm-hmm. when they use the water and they bless the person the and the calmness that the chanting uh, gives to the individual he will feel a real sense of uh, protection he feels a real sense of blessings and with that confidence he will set forth to do uh, what he intends to do. For example maybe he's sitting for examinations or he's going uh, to work on a project so all are uh, psychological confidence that is given. At the same time, these blessings also, we invite, we invite, uh, like I mentioned to you in the Buddhist cosmolo- cosmology, uh, the heaven worlds, the day de- we call them the devas, these heavenly gods to protect this individual who is actually uh, in pursuit of a certain uh, action or an aspiration. So he's also protected as well. So the water comes together with the blessed string it how comes together the other
2: wor- how about the other worships the other practices what else do they do, they do uh, uh, besides this blessing but how about the worship yeah. like, in, like in worship
4: normally um it is encouraged the buddhists are encouraged to actually um in the mornings to actually uh do the uh in the theravada tradition the buddhists are encouraged to actually uh, pay homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the teachings, and the monks, and then reaffirm their faith in the uh, the three uh, refuges, as we call it, and then reaffirm their commitment to uphold, to undertake the five precepts, to avoid from killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, lying, and taking intoxicants. And at the same time, they will they will also, uh, if time permits. They they will actually also do 10 to 15 minutes of uh, meditation. And in this meditation, one of the things that we always recommend, even for children, actually, uh, we call it the metta meditation, meditation on loving kindness, where uh, the individual, they sit for a while, for 5 to 10 minutes in the morning, just radiate loving kindness to oneself. May I be well and happy may harm not come to me may i be free from ill will and suffering he does that three times then to his parents to his siblings to his relatives to his friends and to all beings in the world so this is uh, this is uh, you could call it the model of the buddhist worship and at the same time at night before one sleeps actually it is encouraged to do uh, what we call a silanusati. Silanusati is where one recollects, one reflects on what one has done for the day and think, oh, these are the good things I've done. Then be happy, be grateful about that, rejoice over it. Ah, then also the same time, I, uh, I did something not too good today. I shouldn't have done this. Okay, I reaffirm my faith. Okay, I promise not to do this this is something where I had missteps, I will not do it. And then after that, they do the metta again before they sleep. And, and when we do this, this is important because it gives a sense of reaffirmation to the person. And at the same time, the person will be able to have a good sleep. And the Buddha again does say there are 11 benefits of doing metta meditation, uh, because the person will have all these 11 benefits as well. Uh,
1: uh, Prem. before I could ask you this question, you have already touched it so beautifully on meditation. Actually, uh, I remember going to Igatpuri, a place in India, where I did Vipassana meditation for 10 days. You're mentioning about mm-hmm. meditation, and uh, maybe uh, a little bit more elaboration on that. How this, the, I'm, I'm sure there are many mantras used, and also the time, the frequency. You have mentioned a little bit. When and where and how? and what age they could start. Maybe just very briefly on that. uh, Maybe uh, Prem, you could share a little bit on that.
4: Yes, we'll we'll do, Father. I mentioned metta just now. Metta is actually recommended for anyone, even children, uh, adults. Uh, It is because it helps in the person's uh, mindfulness to build the mindfulness, to build the focus and to bring a sense of gratefulness and uh, gratitude. So metta meditation is one method. The other method that is used, uh, there are many methods actually in Buddhist meditation. There is a, a, re, a reflection on sila, reflection on moral morality, reflection on death, reflection on uh, the 32 characteristics of the body. So there are many, many different methods of meditation out there. But the most common that lay people use is metta meditation, the breathing in and breathing out meditation, And also, of course, the meditation which some groups use the uh, rising and falling of the abdomen. Uh, I believe Father Xavier, when you went, they they had actually encouraged to use the the rising and falling of the abdomen for that method. So there are many different methods as well. But all these methods, the intention is to bring the concentration because we have a monkey mind. The mind keeps on jumping here and there, and therefore the thoughts run, keep running. The intention of meditation is to bring the concentration. Once you have that concentration, then you start going deeper and deeper. And that is the starting point. In Buddhist meditation, of of course, along the way, you get all the benefits of calmness, uh, less stress, uh, less uh, anger. All this comes along the way. But of course, the ultimate aim of Buddhist meditation is to achieve that very enlightenment the Buddha himself got, which you gain once you start going deeper and deeper into the concentration, and then you're able to go into the different uh, levels of
2: enlightenment as you go along the way. So talking about this question of meditation and all this, is there a need for being a vegetarian? Is it uh, a need for uh, Mm -hmm. uh, everyone to be a a vegetarian or is it Mm -hmm. because I believe the monks are vegetarians.
3: Uh, maybe I can step in there. Yes, yes. Uh, maybe I can talk about vegetarianism. Right? Uh, there, in, in just now, I talked about this uh, three schools of Buddhism. That's uh? right. Three yeah. schools. Yeah. But then I go. Yeah. Uh, I will take it from the perspective of our school, the Theravada school. That's right. All right. So, and how we express it during the Buddhist time, during the Buddhist time, uh, the Buddha was actually approached and told and asked by his so-called. Uh, detractors if you want to use the word to impose a rule on vegetarianism you know to make it uh, that that people should be and he he, and he actually said no in his approach his answer and he actually said no you know because he said uh, what is important is not what goes into your mouth what's important what comes out of your mouth like you know that's right and two and two he says i think a lot has got to do with is to with the killing actually you know people say mm, if you are mm, a meat mm. eater are you contributing to killing uh, it mm. all depends on you know the definition of what killing is which i will, maybe i will touch on later but is uh, is vegetarianism uh, what do you call it imposed on it in uh, it's a mass in the mahayana school it is in the mm. mahayana school out in north uh, but if you go now just now i mentioned the third group the vajrayana group vajrayana. which comes from tibet etc and they live in the highlands and the only thing that are available there, vegetables are very hard to come by. Like, that's
2: right. That's and what right. do they it's have cold. is that
3: they have the yuck, they live yeah. in a very high land. It is cold. cold. And they yeah. need and they need meat to that's keep right. their bodies warm. That's and they keeping right, yes. so in that point. So you see, they have adopted this. Now, whereas in the Theravada Buddhism, the 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 option uh, is there for the monks to decide. Do we encourage it? We say it is um, it is uh, a noble thing uh, it is a noble thing it is a uh, commendable that's the word to use it is commendable to be a vegetarian you know it's commendable to be a vegetarian now when since it, we are talking about killing uh, killing i think it's important to touch on this topic uh, huh? because even in the five precepts we talk about something. maybe let me try and define according to buddhism what killing is uh? there are five conditions to determine what killing is one is there must be a life there must be a life form Two, you as an individual must know that their life form is there. All right? Three, there must be intent. Your intent is to take that life. Uh, there is an intent. You have an intention to take your life. Uh, four, is that there is an act of killing, of taking that life. And five, by that act, death occurs or life goes off. That we define as killing. Now, if I go to, a, somebody goes to the shop and buys uh, one kilo of meat and come back. Now, if you apply this rule, you know, we apply this rule. Um, I suppose I leave that to your better judgment. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I leave that to your better judgment. So, in Buddhism, that, that 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 whole idea, it's actually an attitude. You're talking about your attitude. You intend to take that life. But yeah. uh, do we uh, encourage uh, vegetarianism? Yes, we do. On certain days, on full moon days and new moon days in our temple, uh, the monks go visit There is a particular reason. There's a physical, I've used the word physiological reasons for going vegetarian on certain days. Uh, it's a long topic per se, but we do That's say right. yeah. that the, the human body is affected by it. And on certain days, uh, the full moon and new moon, the impact on us, the impact on the human body, the you know the word "lunatic" comes from "luna." That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not yeah. saying that we all turn into werewolves <laughs> on, on a full moon day, but we do say we do say that it is for us very to be very guarded on these days because the influence in the body, the fluids in the body, uh, and the energies in the body uh, need to be managed. That's what it is. Uh, very broadly saying. Uh, we can argue about it till the cows come home. Mm, you know, that's that's right. right.
2: That's
1: right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a concept yeah
1: maybe uh maybe uh sri maybe or either sri or maybe uh prem could share something about your important festivals that you all celebrate you know i mean the Mm -hmm. uh, some of the main one of course Visag is one we know apart from Mm Visag, we are not too familiar with the (laughs) other uh, fees any other festivals maybe just just let us know what the other important Mm -hmm. festivals that you all celebrate
4: yeah that's a good question father xavier uh yes (laughs) You are spot on. Uh, the common uh, common one, of course, is Vesak. Vesak is to commemorate uh, the birth of uh, Buddha, the enlightenment, as well as the Parinirvana of the Buddha. Um, it's a common festival for all the three Buddhist traditions. Uh, you can call it the MTV, Mahayana, Theravada, Vajrayana. All three follow this. Um, at the same time, in Mahayana Buddhism, they also celebrate the birthday of uh, Avalokiteshvara, which is actually Kuan Yin so they do celebrate uh, the goddess of mercy uh, who is um, a fountain of compassion so they celebrate uh, goddess of mercy's uh, birthday they also celebrate uh, or rather commemorate um, ulambana which is the uh, the period that we just finished where they also um, commemorate and uh, do transference of merits for the departed so that's an important festival uh, that they actually commemorate in the Theravada tradition, there is the uh, tradition of Katina. Katina is a period where um, the it is uh, done at the end of what we call as a three-month wasa period or rainy season period. This is a period in India. Uh, that's a tradition that they've also followed in Theravada schools where for three months, they will actually, the monks are not uh, encouraged to travel out more than seven days. Even if they travel, they have to come back within seven days. And this is a time they are expected to actually focus more, devote themselves more to the practice. For example, like in the Christian Fathers, you have uh, the retreats where the Fathers go for silent retreats. So in the Buddhist side, this is the time where monks will do uh, daily chanting at night uh, and then they will uh, do more sutta studies. This is the time where they actually do more uh, meditation. So this is, uh, so, and the culmination, culmination of this period called Vassa is the Katina. So where the people will actually then come together, the devotees, and they offer ropes to monks and they offer all the other requisites as well. So the monks to 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 celebrate, to commemorate that, that three-month retreat that they have just completed and uh, which helps them to also uh, bring a lot of, uh, spiritual upliftment and progress with them. Another important festival uh, that is also practiced is the, um, we call it the three months. Three months uh, after the Enlightenment, uh, we call it is Asalha or Isala. And this is where they commemorate the first time the Buddha taught to the world. So that's another important festival. So in general, these are some of the general festivals that are there uh and each of it has a significance but of course there are many others i just touched the main ones in mahayana buddhism as well as in theravada buddhism
2: you know uh, we are priests like father xavier and myself i'm always interested to know how does a monk how does a person become monk Uh, is there age level or (laughs) degree level or or, or being a simple person can be a monk Uh, Maybe can i will do
3: that i think i will do that um (laughs) Uh, let me talk from the perspective from the Theravada school, uh, Theravada school from the Sri Lankan tradition or the uh, Singhalese tradition, per se. And I'll touch a little bit uh, why. Uh, gen- generally, about the age of twelve, uh, about the age of twelve, uh, uh, monks, uh, uh, families tend to, let's say, I use the word, come to an agreement with the temple to have their 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 children. Uh, become a monk, right? One of the amazing things about it, especially in Sri Lanka, is that it is always the brightest child or son that is actually, uh, who's encouraged to become the monk. Uh, Not somebody who is, you know, sort of thing, the brightest child, uh, sort of thing. It might be a guy from a village, the Kampong or the village. That is one. Two, there are a few conditions though, right? One, the child must agree. Not be not be a reluctant participant, not be dragged there by his ears, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Two, the parents must give permission. The parents must give permission. not the child run away from home and go, you know become get ordained sort of thing like you know? mm-hmm. that sort mm-hmm. of thing the parents mm-hmm. get, and I want to tell a little story about that and why. during the Buddha's time when he had attained enlightenment, uh, he went back to his home. he went to visit his parents and his wife. no mm-hmm. you know so he, he went to because he was married, he had a son. He never saw his mm-hmm. son the son never saw him however when he first when the son came came to him you know the mother told the son oh, that is your father go and ask him for your inheritance mm. so the so the son went to the to, to the buddha and asked him you know uh father I want, you know can you give me my inheritance so the buddha said i have nothing the only thing i have is the religion the Buddhist, you know the discovery of the dhamma and he ordained this young boy You know, they ordained this very young boys. That upset the king very much actually. Mm -hmm. The king was quite upset, you know, because that means the Buddha's father was quite upset and he said, Hey look, you left home and you became the Buddha. All right. I need a hair to my throne. And what do you do? Is that you take now my grandson and you ordain (laughs) him, like you know. So he, (laughs) so there came an understanding at that point in time that the that the king said, in future could we please ask permission, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. So that is how it started. That tradition started of ensuring that uh, that the what do you call it that the uh, that the child is given permission. Mm -hmm. is given permission by the parents. So now I, and and what what is it what is the routine uh, what is the routine i think some of the things that it, one once you become a monk uh, the number of rules you have uh, all right you have two the monks uh, have 227 rules
5: wow
3: okay 227 rules it is called the vinaya It's a rule you know a rule a code of conduct you want to use for monks and for ladies it's about 300 over now of course many people ask why are we so unfair why go additional rules actually it's got to do with their, it, it, a lot got to do with their physiology it's nothing uh. to do with their behavior etc but however there are certain rules as well about monks and uh, nuns uh, there are certain rules in the sense that they cannot stay under the same roof. Mm. they have to live in different but they have to live nearby all right because they do recognize the fact that you know, women are weak, etc. There have been times that the ladies have been attacked. So, that by having a uh, a group of monks nearby for safety, but not under the same roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the other thing about uh, monks is that maybe when I talk about you talk about what is their uh, daily routine, uh, which I, which I think you will probably may play a, a video later. But let me talk from personal experience. I think in 1970, 1986, I became a monk. Mm-hmm. for a period of two weeks at Buddhist Mahaviyara Brickfields. Premisele, we talked to him. He also, I know, became a monk <laughs> because we have something called a novitiate program where we go and try the monk's life. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we actually do is that we actually get a full, uh, complete ordination. Uh? That means we, as a novice monk, we shave our head, we wear robes, we stay in the temple, we get up at five o'clock in the morning and the process is this. We get up five in the morning, we clean up. We go for meditation. Okay. After meditation, uh, I'm telling you the routine. After meditation, we go and clean the temple compound. As a matter, This is a matter of physical exercise if you want to use the word. But actually, it's the duty of the monk to clean the premises clean. After that, we go and freshen up. You know, personal hygiene if you want to use the word. Then we go and have our breakfast in the morning. All right. Then after this is like being in a monastery, yeah. Because when Mm -hmm. when I ordained, I think there were about thirty other novices at that time. uh, At that time, there were not there were no nuns, but there were thirty novices per se, yeah. And so we went through this routine for a period of I think two or three weeks. I can't remember, but I must admit, actually, in my all my years of studying Buddhism and reading about Buddhism, it is in those two weeks, okay, those two weeks where I think I was most intense about meditation, about learning, teaching, etc. And I want to actually highlight why I highlight this. There's a reason actually taking when you take the monk's life, you are more focused, you know, you're more focused, you spend time. You're not worried about whether you go, you know, you got to get up and go for work, earn a salary, uh, whether you're going to have to look after your wife or get a scolding from your mother, etc. Nothing. You know, you are very, very focused. And actually, those two weeks, I would say I had the most intense learning during those two weeks so when somebody asks me this question which is an easier path to become uh, to attain your enlightenment actually it is the ordained path
5: mm-hmm.
3: uh, being a monk you know dress because you are you have divested yourself from our attention because you shave your hair why do we shave our hair because we don't want this attention but like today when i was preparing for this forum i was combing my wash my hair i combed my hair made sure it is all in order I yeah, we are so attached to our hair, you know, we spend half an hour sort of doing it up. Uh, previously, he is saved because he, like, uh, you know, he's uh, like, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. But, yeah, but I think that the, 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 the moral of the story, I think it is this when we detach ourselves from our daily uh, lay life, the focus on the religion, on the teachings, and following it is more intense and i would say certainly uh, that's the way it is
2: yes just to just to add on uh, two questions if the yeah. if the young boy goes into uh, to be a monk he is mm. training to be a monk uh, yes. is there a moment that he can also say i do not want and leave or does he have to get a permission the second one is uh, sorry to ask uh, sri if you have been a novice why uh, mm. did not stay is there something that you uh, decided
3: Okay, so, let me answer the first one <laughs> yes yeah, right. yeah. all right
2: uh, the the
3: yeah, um, any the, a monk can quit it anytime he wants to anytime yeah anytime but what he needs to do is to go back to the monk who ordained him and the so-called disrobing there is, There's a process oh, uh, disrobing okay. uh, has happened but it's a very friendly and uh, it is not a uh, harsh sort of thing and it. not that he's ostracize you he's mm. not it's not an excommunication no he continues to be a Buddhist but he has chosen to give up the way of life of monk mm. now to answer your next question why didn't i continue to be yeah. a from a novice yeah. monk etc yeah. uh, i was actually asked this question by the then k3 why don't you mm. continue being there and uh, he asked That's me that clear. question mm. i gave him an answer he didn't quite like i said <laughs> chief I told him, Chief, I would like to go back to five meals a day, like you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he didn't quite like. It. I thought he was being a smart aleck, but honestly, but I think I think I, I when I went in down there, I went I went in very very focused, saying that this is something that I wanted to do, I wanted to experience it, uh, and I wanted to to do it. And it was a great learning experience. But I so I'm a sort of a person. I always have an end in mind, you know. And the end in mind is that, well, at the end of the three weeks, this is over, like, you know, you know, and actually, I will tell you the, ex- the exuberance that all of us have who participated on the last day when we are chanting, we are chanting so loud because we are all so happy to get back home. Like, you
1: know. <laughs> Sri, I just want to ask you, uh, mm-hmm. of course, there are a lot of do's and don'ts in uh, of being, of becoming a monk. Uh, there's also this question about females greeting a monk, you know, is there any special restrictions or anything of that sort? Uh, greeting mm. a monk, uh, a monk from females going approaching them in any way.
3: Mm. Okay, there are no uh, restrictions. Whenever we greet a monk, we always stand th- at a I would wo- a respectable distance. We always uh-huh. put our palms together to wish him. Uh, we there are a few things that we do. We can say we, in English we'll say good morning, Bante, good morning, Venerable. That uh-huh. but there is another term that we also tend to use. We tend to say Theruwan Saranai. Hiruan I say blessings of the noble triple gem. And it can be from a layman to a monk and a monk to, a, to, to the lay person. We do not shake hands. Mm-hmm. Please bear in mind, we do not shake hands. And I want to make it very clear whether it is male or female, there is no body contact.
2: How uh, about mm-hmm. uh, towards the lay person, uh, like towards you? If I, do I also greet you as. Yes. Uh,
3: yes, a, you do. Yes, you do. Yes. But please bear in mind, I know sometimes when monks go out, people stick their hand out to shake, and sometimes they do. But we go through the process of teaching, and we tell them, you know, the best is to put your palms together. And today, with the pandemic, that's very safe now.
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> how about this? Sorry, how about dressing and respect when entering a Buddhist temple? Is there any code of uh, code of uh, dress code or anything like that, where it, that you are specifically to be dressed this way to enter the temples? Okay. Uh,
3: all right. I've been asked this question as president. Many people have asked me why did I impose a code of conduct, etc. I'm very reluctant. i rather through go through a teaching process uh, and my line that I use is that I tell, them, I tell them that modesty is beautiful and I use that tagline, you know. Sometimes people want us to go and tell people, but you know, when somebody comes with, the very fact that somebody has come to the temple, they already came with a certain intention, whether they had uh, they have a problem, they want a blessing, their parents are sick or they are sick, etc. And suddenly when you jump on them and turn on them and say, hey, look, you're not dressed well. Go back and change. I don't think that intention is right. Fair. There are people who would like us to do that. Um, I have avoided that. Uh, I've avoided that. But I think what we do is that we always advise people quietly in private uh, to, to to dress more modestly. And the tagline is modesty is beautiful. You know The tagline is that you know, modesty is beautiful.
1: Huh? Father Chris, I think we have got two more questions, maybe two or three questions before. There are yeah, two questions that come exactly. in from outside, from our our viewers,
2: we can finish these two questions before. Yeah, maybe we can ask uh, Prem, Prem, is there any forbidden food or anything that is uh, not allowed or not accepted in the Buddhist uh, religion? Uh, Prem?
4: Uh, Thank you, Father Christopher. Okay, in terms, we have to be careful where we are making this food offering. If we are offering at a Mahayana temple, of course Mm. we know that the Mahayana monks and nuns are vegetarians so, therefore, um, we do not offer uh, meat at all. At all. the same time, uh, there's also uh, rules on, uh, they don't even offer garlic and onions as well. Mm. Uh, mm. Uh, when when they make the food, it is uh, it is meant to be bland. And at the same time, because uh, this tradition is also from India, where garlic and onions are said to actually uh, give a lot of this sense of emo- uh, high emotions to the individuals. So this is an Indian tradition. And this it is still being uh, followed as well in Mahayana Buddhism, where even garlic and onions are not used in the preparation of this vegetarian food, actually. Uh, but the food is actually generally tasty, uh, even without um, um, garlic or onions. Of course, uh, Indians definitely love garlic, mm. love mm. onions <laughs> in their food, lots of it. But uh, in the Mahayana tradition, uh, no garlic and onions. At the same time, I must also mention here, uh, in the Theravada tradition, there are monks who are actually vegetarians. Uh, and then there are monks who don't take meat but may take fish. There are monks who take uh, anything that is offered. So uh, one of the ways when we go to a Theravada temple, when we offer, before we offer the food to them, we ask them, venerable, can you take? And if mm. the monk puts the hand uh, like that at the bowl or at the plate, we do not offer. Mm-hmm. So, in this way, uh, it is always good to actually ask because within that same sitting, three to five months, each may, you may have a vegetarian there, you may have someone who does not take meat, or you may have someone who just takes fish and nothing else. Uh, all other uh, veg- uh, vegetarian food is allowed, but they don't take others. So, therefore, uh, it is good to actually ask. But uh, another thing is this. Generally, on, on full moon and new moon days, the in Chinese calendar, the 15th day and the 30th day, uh, normally temples is vegetarian, even Theravada temples. So uh, people do not take uh, uh, non-vegetarian food to the temple. It's always vegetarian food. Even Vesak. it's actually vegetarian. Um, so in a general sense, um, it depends to the question it depends which temple you're going to. Myna definitely is vegetarian food, but it's a Theravada temple. Be careful, you may have taken a lot of effort to make a very good chicken curry. Maybe <laughs> the monk uh, would say uh, no, but you can just put the curry or the potato, but you cannot put the meat. Or, but some are uh, even more stricter, they'll say no, I don't take at all. So, it all depends. That flexibility, like Brother Siri mentioned, is there actually.
2: Prim, Prim, uh, you talked about the monks. How about a uh, lay persons like y'all, do y'all also take a strict diet, a uh, strict uh, food uh, diet, and all these things, or is uh, again, it your choice?
4: Yeah, again, uh, again, Father Christopher, it's it all up to the individual, Correct. Uh, whether we take it on full moon, new moon days, we choose to be vegetarian, uh, or whether we choose to take meat. But of course, one thing that's forbidden for the Buddhists is actually we cannot go to the market look at that chicken, ah, please take for me the chicken, cut it now for me and this and that is actually disallowed because you are technically, um, you are taking that and actually killing. You cannot say I didn't kill, you actually ordered to be killed and that is also not allowed to be offered to the monks also, Uh, because uh, that is a ruling. In fact, one of the rules for the monks also is you cannot offer that meat that has been offered in that way is actually not allowed. So, for example, generally when we go to you know buy a chicken or anything, you just buy what is there. If it's there's none, it is none. You don't go and go to the go, go to the broiler exactly. side and ask them to go and make more. Cannot mm-hmm. or cut more chicken. Cannot. It's not allowed.
2: Uh, just to go on to Sri Sri, uh, tell us about yeah. the social uh, aspect of the Buddhist uh, Buddhist uh, mass, uh, religion itself. How will you all? uh do the outside uh social work and you know we have like we mm. have the prison prison and migrants and maybe mm. you can mm. share with us your
3: okay i think I i'll speak on a very very broad general. i thought about yeah. this now huh?
2: right. um
5: uh,
3: different organized different buddhist organizations which seem to uh somehow uh, specialize in certain areas you know sort of thing so i will talk i, I actually wrote this down actually, when, when i was asked about this question I think many i, I would take a you know, very let's go on an international level right? all right we'll start from there and work down to malaysia and to buddhist maviara mm. uh, i'm sure many of you would have heard this organization called suchi that's
2: right all right many of right. you would have, yeah, yeah, you would have heard right.
3: suchi yeah. is an organization that comes from uh, from taiwan it is headed by a nun comes mm. from the mayana school but a very interesting story of how i think she saw a lady bleed to death you know and she was not able to help and ever since then she started this process. I don't know the details of the story. She started this. However, Suchi has now become a very international Buddhist organization. They have structured themselves and they have and they are and they're completely run on a volunteer scale. Mm-hmm. It is Sometimes even I'm mind amazed. mind-boggling how they have made. And every disaster in almost any part of the world, they are the first people to be there because mm-hmm. they seem to have a network in almost every country whether it's in mm. Malaysia or in South America. You know, they are always there in every earthquake zone, they are there. Mm. When the tsunami hit in 2004, it hit Aceh, they were the first frontline people you know, to reach out there even before anybody else could get. Mm. So they are so well structured. So they have set up a very... In, uh, in, I'm told that in Malaysia, they have something like 1.2 members, volunteers, uh, mm. uh, 1.2 million volunteers in Malaysia who come out there. And many of our own, la- our members themselves in our society, also volunteer there. We have no objections to that, uh, and we work very closely with Suchi, Yeah,
5: mm. sometimes
3: because why we say is that they have the infrastructure, so that is Suchi, Yeah, but uh, and they if they are very much involved in all these uh, relief efforts, etc. Very much into all these hospitals, even now under COVID. Also, they are. I mean, it's amazing, you know, that the hospitals actually approach them first before even the government, like, you know, mm. you know? uh, because the response time is so good. You know, so yeah. we have all you know got together and support that project. Then there is another organization. Now I come to a Malaysian environment. Mm. Uh, our current chief, uh, Venerable uh, datu Kesri Damaratna,
5: mm. K.
3: Damaratna, He has an organization, All right, He's this is his personal project. He has something called Tiratana. You know, and they have many centers around, and they mm. focus very much on orphanages and old folks.
1: Mm. and they
3: are very very successful. Huh? They're very successful. It is his, his, he's basically the founder of that organization. They mm-hmm. have done very, very well and they have grown. I mean, I have to take my head off, you know, it is a private project to him. Ourselves, myself, I'm not involved. Our society is not involved, but he has undertaken this project and he has run it for almost, I think, 20 years or so. All right. Mm-hmm. So there is another organization called Maha Karuna. Well, Maha Karuna con- converted or translated stands for uh, the Great Compassion, I think. Huh? Uh, the great compassion from sure. karuna sense for compassion yeah. and they are another uh, volunteer another organization that does this kind of work uh, this kind mm-hmm. of work and uh, they they have been quite successful in something called educare where they have supported children uh, in uh who, who are who need uh, what do you call it aid to go to school you know their school bags mm-hmm. their books etc they've been very very strong in that um, mm-hmm. then when it comes to counseling when it comes to mm-hmm. counseling we have something called the uh, Buddhist Gem Fellowship. Buddhist mm-hmm. Gem Fellowship, which actually was a spin-off from Buddhism. Right? They have now established themselves and they're very good at that. They do phone counseling, etc. So whenever we have people calling in, we always divert it to them. They are better trained, etc. Uh, that is not mm-hmm. our forte. Let's see. Now, when it comes to prisons, I think you had mentioned, I think prisons, things like that, mm-hmm. uh, there is a, another Taiwan group called Quan San. Okay. They are very, very active. In so called prison ministries, like i don't want to use the, word, mm, uh, mm. I use the word, they're very strong gotcha. in that. Uh? Mm. Now, when it comes to Buddhism, we are uh, us, ourselves, um, our focus in actually on a re- weekly basis, we are actually delivering cooked food on a weekly basis 100, 200 packs. I think it's now reaching about 200 packs for the people, the homeless people uh, around KL. We do that and we also do Orang Asli uh, food distribution. Mm -hmm. All right. And then recently, I think on it was on the 1st of July, we launched the project until the 31st of July. uh, We raised about $307,000 over one month and we supported 880 over families. We just ended, you know, when you spoke Mm -hmm. to me the last time, Mm -hmm. uh, we just Mm -hmm. ended, we distributed this. But these are one offs. That particular project is a one off. It's not our forte. It is not our Mm -hmm. forte. If you ask what is the forte at Buddhism, we we are into education. Uh, Buddhist education, we are into publishing of books. Uh, Brother Premasiri is uh, our chief publisher, if I want to use the word. Mm. And uh, and we are also very involved in organizing Buddhist talks, which we do a lot online. In fact, there's one going on today, right now, at this point in time. Mm. Uh, on the 31st, we are going on right now. So those, we tend we to complement each other in many ways. Right. We try not to compete, sort of thing. You know? uh, and uh, the thing sometimes in the volunteer business, we compete, right, you know. Sort of thing, you know. but well, sometimes we do meet and we compliment each other. So this is the outreach program that we have, you know. And we work. We and we work uh, as as closely as possible. Yeah, uh, as closely as possible.
1: Now yeah, we are running out of time. Okay. I think one more last question, and afterwards just take the few questions. I think they already covered there. Just one question to Prem. Prem, uh, Buddhism views on just share with us a little bit on very briefly on Buddhism's view on interfaith marriages, on interfaith marriages. <laughs> Conversions to conversion to other faiths. What do Buddhism say about these things?
4: Um, one other, thank you for the question, Father, the, I must mention here that um, in uh, the Buddha's advice, the Buddha says, if you find truth in any religion, accept that truth. And this having said that, how do we bring this into interfaith marriages? The Buddha Buddha mentions the importance of the mutual respect, the mutual responsibilities uh, laid out in the Sutta, which is a Sigalavada Sutta in the Diganikaya. Um, This is a long Sutta, but in summary, one portion of the Sutta, or Sutta is a teaching, the Buddha talks about the mutual relationship between husband and wife. And in this sense here, um, the husband, the husband, before he embark on the marriage with the wife, they must first start their relationship on the basis of metta, universal friendship, and that is very important. It cannot be just a relationship which is just uh, a, a relationship of pleasure. No, it must be a relationship of friendship, mutual friendship, of support to each other as good friends. And when you have this as the basis, what happens is it, uh, it doesn't matter what religion one is, because there is mutual respect. Most of the time, if you notice um, the issues that happen, it is not because of religion. It is not because of difference of religion. It is the, the greed, the ego, the hatred, the resentment, like in Malaya, they say something mm-hmm. asad dengki. vengeance, that is the problem. And then religion is dragged in and uh, and they, they use other means to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. But actually, if they have metta as a starting point of their relationship and they do get married and they respect each other, don't just think uh, the love is just blind. You're marrying not just husband, wife. You're also marrying into the family. You will have in-laws and don't end up having them as outlaws. So things like that, those are important points that we need to take. And in terms of a charter, back to the Sigalavada Sutta, the Buddha stresses the mutual responsibility. The husband, just to give you an example, there are five ways the Buddha says that the husband must uh, respect the wife. You must be, uh, he says, you must be courteous to her you cannot despise her you cannot you must be faithful to her you must hand authority to her you must provide adornments to her and then the wife what the wife must do the wife in return she must perform her duties well she is hosti- hospitable to relations and attendants she is faithful she protects whatever he brings to the house and she must be skilled and industrious in discharging her duties. So I mentioned metta as the starting point. I mentioned the, the mutual responsibilities both must have to each other. And having this together, the friendship and the responsibilities, it is an important stand where any marriage can last. It doesn't matter what religion it is. In fact, Brother Siri, he's a Buddhist, but his wife is actually a Christian. Mm. Mm. So that's a very good example, and they're happy married for how many years, uh, Brother Siri?
3: Well, yeah, I think we were counting yesterday, I think it's about twenty-three <laughs> years.
1: I think, uh, I think, uh, I think, I think it's a beautiful, it is a beautiful expression and understanding and outlook of uh, what interfaith marriages are from your perspective, which you have just shared, and also conversion. Buddhism has got one of those broadest uh, understanding and very open-mindedness towards this, and that's a beautiful—that's a beautiful approach, I think. That Buddhism has got the teachings of Buddha has been so well, uh, well uh, expressed here, and uh, just three questions have come up. I think two questions have been asked already. Just one last one coming from the viewers. It's only fair we take up; otherwise, uh, every week we will have no time to ask. Just one question. The other two have been answered. One is. Do Buddhism strictly adhere to uh, cremation or burial or they allow both? Just one one question from the uh, audience.
3: May, maybe I'll answer this. Yes. Um, it, we have no specific rules. Uh, you can, uh, in, in Malaysia here, what we have done, you can cremate and you can uh, dispose the, or let's say spread the ashes in, in the sea or the river. You have a choice. You can cremate and you can bury the remains at the cemetery. Or you can bury uh, uh, the the uh, a body in the in the in in the what do you call it in the uh, in the cemetery without any cremation uh, you can also if and that's a culture according to the culture in the country and let me explain something if you take a look at Tibet uh, I, I'd be very specific about Tibet Tibet is a very uh, high plain high land very scarce land and there in Tibet when somebody I don't know whether they still practice it but in Tibet, what they actually do when a person passes away, they call it an air burial. And what they do is actually they cut the body out and they feed mm. it to the, the to the birds. Oh, wow. And it's not being it is not being gross. It is practicality of where that country is, the lack of land to bury. It's a high land, it's a, and there is no space. Whether yeah. that practice still continues there, I do not know. But they actually call that an air burial. You know, some we may look at it from here and say it is gross. But There, they're just being outright realistic and practical about it, that you know, sort of thing. Oh, huh? So, and, and, in, and is it a Buddhist practice? No, I think it is a very cultural thing. These are very cultural things. Sort of. So, I hope so, that answers the question. Thank you. Uh,
2: thank you. It's, it's uh, a. Yeah, I I believe, I believe all uh, we can go on talking about this, asking a lot mm-hmm. of questions, but I mm-hmm. think time has uh, come to the end. Uh, I, I just want to say, uh, thank you to. Uh, maybe Father Xavier would like to say a few words uh, before we end.
1: Yes, uh, I would like to just uh, take this occasion to thank both our speakers. Well explained and they are very knowledgeable, though they are not monks, but uh, they have God, given us a good sharing. And I think many of our viewers and listeners would testify to that. So thank you so much, Don, Pramasari and Sri Sena Pereira for your time and for your valuable sharings. We really appreciate that very much. and. Uh, we congratulate all the viewers for joining with us and not to forget uh amya team for working so hard especially to the team who worked on buddhism ruben joanne nirmala and albert and last but not least to our moderator for the father christopher wilveraj and also alex who is in the back end of this podcast the catholic podcast we will not forget they are with us journeying together and we will wait to see an exciting one again next week with uh, another religion, we'll keep it a suspense so that you will come back. Okay. With uh, more exciting questions and uh, uh, time together. And before we end, I think we don't have time to put on the video. Truly sorry. Uh, Maybe we'll call upon the two speakers and Father Chris to end up with the little prayer offering for this Merdeka. So we are celebrating Merdeka. We are in a peaceful country, though. A lot of things are not so promising, but a lot of faith in God. Things will continue to work out for us. And so I turn and give out. I mean, I hand over to Father Chris to end up with the prayer and uh, also together with uh, both Prem and uh, Sri.
2: So maybe uh, prem, uh, prem, I believe you are going to do it in uh, Pali language. Uh, maybe we can start there. And then Sri, I believe you will also do a little prayer. And then I will end it with English. Have, yeah. Prem, Prem, yeah, Prem, Prem. Thank you. Yeah. Prem. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
1: So Not to forget a, Alex. Huh? Alex is also at the back end. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> okay, yeah. Thank, you.
2: Yeah. Thank you to everyone, to all uh, viewers. To, we ask the good yes. Lord to bless us, especially as we celebrate Merdeka. Brain, yours. So
4: this is a short chanting in uh, Pali. To bless our king, our government, to lead the country well, to great heights of, of righteousness. May our country be always be blessed with progress, prosperity, and we can overcome all the current and future challenges. We also would like to bless uh, everyone in the world so that they can, uh, those who are in a situation or challenge, health challenge, may they be elevated in their suffering and sicknesses. May they regain their strength to move forward progressively. May all be determined to do good, to be good, and to be bring within them peace, happiness, and mutual respect. In Pali, I shall chant, Sabi tiyo viva jantu mati bawat wan Sukti galu kau, bawasap manggalang rakan, bawasap dewata, sabutan upawi na sada sukti bawan tuting, bawatu sabap manggalang rakan, bawasap dewata, sabadaman upawi na sada sukti bawan tuting, bawatu sabap manggalang rakan, bawasap dewata, sabasanga upawi Nakata yak kebuta nang papak khaniwara na paritasa nubawi na hantu tesang patawing Yan awamanggalan ca yo ca manapu sapuna sesatu Papak sukinang akantang buddha nubawi na wina semintu Yan don awamanggalan ca yo ca Sapunas sasado papa ghotos sukinang akan tang dhamma nubawi nawina semintu yandun mimit awamanggalan yocha mana papa Saddo papa ghotos sukinang akan tang sangga nubawi nawina semintu dukapatta cenit dukka bayapatta cenit bayasoka patta cenit sokahuntu Sambi buddha balap patah paci kanan cahyang warang arahan kanan cah tijina rakang wanda nisab besut. Dewo kali nasa sampa tihe tu cepito bawatu loko ca raja bawatu damiku. sa sa,
5: sa,
3: sa, 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 sa.
2: When we heard Merdeka, Malaysia, Merdeka, Merdeka, it is a call for all Malaysians that we had made independence. We ask the good Lord to continue to bless our country, Malaysia, as he celebrates 64 years of independence. And for all the Malaysians, as we say, that God will always protect us. Whatever the situation may be, then we Malaysians will stand together for what is good, for what is right, and what is beautiful. As we all heard, in Buddhism, it shares to all of us to do the good, to do the right, and that brings us blessings. I thank God for the two brothers who have helped us to understand Buddhism, to Brother Prem and Brother Sri. May God continue to bless you and your families. And to all Buddhists, uh, to all those who, who believe in the Buddha, in Buddha, then God will continue to bless you. As we continue to learn and understand other religion. we respect each other as relations as a human person and that is what god is god brings us all together to make things beautiful give us your blessings and your graces god loves you and god takes care of you we make this prayer through christ our lord
1: amen amen
2: so thank you very much thank you very much much. take care god bless you thank you thank you thank you